0: It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Plynn, the latest on programs and policies, helpful hints and a bit of occasional nonsense, all in more or less plain English. podcast number 818 for the 10th of February, 2023. This week, after one too many breaches at LastPass, I decided to start looking for a new password manager and decided to give one password a try. It works well, and there's one feature that every password manager should have. In short circuits, DOS commands are old, many of them dating back to the early 1980s, but many are still useful. Spending a little bit of time with the antiques now might save some time later. Although password managers are essential, the real solution to the password problem is eliminating passwords. It's been nearly 40 years since that was proposed, and we're still not there. Maybe another 40 years. In 20 years ago, only on the website, many people had to format the hard drive and reinstall Windows about once a year. In my case, that was usually two or three times a year. I do not miss that exercise in futility. You need a password manager. I've said that repeatedly. It's a given. There's no way around it. My recommendation for years has been LastPass. Well, I still say that you need a password manager, but LastPass is no longer my choice or my recommendation. LastPass had nearly 26 million users late in 2022. If you're still in that group, now is the time to think about leaving. Several other password managers exist, and switching isn't as hard as you might expect. When I replaced LastPass with one password, the import process worked well and only secure notes had to be added manually. My 400 or so passwords arrived without error. LastPass had reported attacks previously and generally had been transparent about what happened, when, and what they were doing to mitigate the problem. But a breach that happened sometime after August of last year has not really been dealt with very well. For one thing, LastPass didn't reveal the exact date of the incident. Then, three days before Christmas, LastPass provided further information about a breach they had downplayed at the end of November. Initially, there was no indication that any user passwords had been exposed, but that changed on the 22nd of December. The breach exposed encrypted password data. How serious that might be depends, among other factors, on how strong a user's master password was. I had a very strong master password, and any brute force attack would likely be unsuccessful. But the size and scope of the breach, coupled with LastPass's reticence, was sufficient for me to start looking seriously at other password managers, specifically 1Password and Bitwarden. The most recent LastPass breach also revealed some other customer data such as names, email addresses, phone numbers, and billing information. The URLs are revealed too because LastPass doesn't encrypt them. This oversight would give crooks an advantage. Instead of trying to crack the password for Duolingo, they would concentrate on cracking the password for American Express. In previous breaches, simply changing the master password was sufficient to continue protecting your login information. Changing the master password this time won't do any good, because the crooks already have the encrypted data. If you continue to use LastPass, it is important to change the master password, but it's also important to change the passwords for any accounts that contain health, financial, or personal identification data. And if you switch to a new password manager, be sure to change the passwords for those kinds of accounts. And when two-factor authentication is available, use it. Some advisors recommend changing all of your passwords, but anybody who has hundreds of passwords probably won't want to spend time doing that. Each password change takes a few minutes, let's say three minutes, So I would have to spend 20 hours to change my 400 or so passwords. Instead, I've changed the ones for banks, government agencies, credit reporting businesses, and other high-value targets. But I haven't bothered with those for newspapers, weather services, and libraries. LastPass worked well for many years. When it was acquired by LogMeIn, changes were made so that the free version would be all but unusable. Then, venture capitalists Francisco Partners and Evergreen Coast Capital Corporation spun LastPass off as an independent business, the goal maximizing value for later sale. I wonder how that's working for them now. Whether it's LastPass or another password manager, having one is essential. LastPass, when coupled with a very strong master password and two-factor authentication on critical accounts, is still safe but there are other choices i decided it was time to move on so i looked mainly at one password and bitwarden one password has a 2 week free trial bitwarden has a totally free option bitwarden is an open source project so anyone can obtain the source code and review it one password's code is proprietary both have apps for Windows, Mac OS, Linux, Android, and iOS, as well as extensions for all the major web browsers. 1Password also has a version for Chrome OS. In my estimation, 1Password's most welcome feature is its ability to be an authenticator app such as Authy or the Google Authenticator. As much as I value the added protection of two-factor authentication, I recognize the process can be a bit clumsy. Using LastPass, I would select and launch a site with two-factor authentication. LastPass would provide the user ID and the password, but then I would have to open Authy, find and select the site that I wanted to open, click the icon to copy the time-limited code to the clipboard, return to the browser, and paste the code in to open the site. And yes, that took only five seconds or so, but it was still an interruption. 1Password eliminates several of the steps. I select and launch the site. 1Password fills in the username and the password. When the site asks for the second factor code, 1Password provides it and the site opens. No additional effort is required and the process takes less than a second. Because every website designer has a different way to implement two-factor authentication, the most difficult part of the process may be setting it up. The good news is that a non-profit organization, the Two-Factor Auth Group, maintains a website with pointers to instructions from a gigantic number of websites. The two-factor auth group says its mission is to be an independent source of information on which services support multi-factor or two-factor authentication and help consumers demand it on services that currently don't. In reviewing and updating two-factor authentication for the sites I use, I was reminded that not a single one of the banks or financial institutions offers two-factor authentication. The two-factor auth group shows clearly how behind the times most banks are. The listing of banking sites shows that many financial institutions don't offer any type of two-factor authentication and that when it is available, most have only SMS, phone, or email options. A few, as the Bank of America and Morgan Stanley, have hardware options, but virtually none work with software authentication services. Why? Well, that's a question I can't answer. When you sign up for 1Password, you'll receive a PDF document called an Emergency Kit. It contains the login address, your email address, which is your username, a long and complex secret code generated by 1Password, and a space where you can write in your password, which should be long and complex. The secret key is used to encrypt your data and only the 1Password application, and you know the key. It is needed to decrypt your private information. So if you lose it or your master password, nobody will be able to decrypt your data, not even 1Password. To add an item to 1Password, you first specify what kind of information you'll be storing. For most people, login information will probably be the one that's used most often. But there are also options for secure notes, passports, email accounts, bank accounts, credit cards, and medical records. 22 options in all. Each type has fields to store specific types of information that are relevant. License number, type, restrictions, state, and expiration date for a driver's license cardholder name, card number, security code, PIN, expiration date, and bank for a credit card, the user can add or delete fields as desired. Some password managers include the ability to check for compromised websites and passwords and to highlight reused passwords or weak passwords. 1Password's watchtower does this, but it also adds warnings when a site in your vault offers two-factor authentication, but you haven't enabled it. In other words, it alerts you when problems exist that you might otherwise miss. Watchtower lists compromised websites, sites that have suffered known security breaches. Watchtower didn't find any of those in my fault. It lists vulnerable passwords. If you have passwords that have been exposed in a data breach, they should appear in this list. Watchtower checks the Have I Been Pawned database, which records and verifies all known online data breaches. None of my passwords appeared there. Keep in mind, though, that this reports on all known online data breaches, so it's an important test, but the results can't be considered conclusive. Watchtower shows reused passwords because reusing passwords is a bad idea. If you use the same password for your bank as you do for Facebook, the crook who obtains your Facebook credentials might be able to gain access to your bank. I have 29 reused passwords. In many cases, they're for organizations that require the same credentials as another organization. In all cases, the sites contain no high-value data. You'll see a list of weak passwords if you have any. I have 20 sites with weak passwords. These are nearly all for libraries that often use only four-digit passcodes. But if somebody steals my library credentials, what are they going to do? Check out a book? This isn't a high-value target for crooks, so the weak passwords really are okay. I did find a few other sites that had weak passwords. White Castle, JCPenney, and the Federal Communications Commission, for example, and I have updated those passwords. Watchtower will show you a list of sites with inactive two-factor authentication. If a site offers two-factor authentication but you're not using it, you'll at least be reminded. Most of the 38 sites in my list housed no critical data, but I may still update them to use two-factor authentication because the process is so quick and easy with 1Password. Initially, I reduced that number to 34. And you'll also see a list of unsecured websites. If any sites in your vault don't encrypt data using HTTPS, that's where they'll be listed. When a site uses HTTP instead of Secure HTTP, also known as HTTPS, your login credentials and any other information sent to or from the site will be in plain text and might be intercepted. 1Password costs $36 a year, or $60 a year for families, which gives up to five people their own individual accounts. Other options are Bitwarden that I mentioned earlier. There is a free version with some restrictions, and a $40 annual plan that's good for the whole family. Because it's an open source application, anyone can see the code, and more eyes on the code mean more flaws are found and corrected. Dashlane is another good one. It costs $40 a year. $90 for families, but there's also a free option. Although Dashlane has no desktop app, it works with all major browsers, and apps are available for iOS and Android. There is a 30-day free trial if you want to give it a go. And KeyPass XC is a free open source application. There's a desktop app for Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. You are responsible for creating and storing the password Vault. Extensions are available for Firefox and Chrome-based browsers. Although there are no apps for iOS and Android from the developers, KeyPass to Android and StrongBox for iPhone are available separately from the appropriate stores. Although I have stopped using LastPass, you might want to avoid the bother of switching apps if That's your current choice. If your master password was long and complex, you're probably safe. Still, at the very least, you should change both the master password, which does nothing to protect against the recent breach, and the passwords for all critical, high-value sites. Once you've done that, LastPass is probably safe. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, short circuits, the graphical user interface is a big improvement over the days when everything was in plain text, but sometimes it helps to know some of the old ways. The command prompt can quickly display information that's not always easy to find otherwise. So let's take a look at a few commands that I think everybody should know, or at least have on a cheat sheet. We should start with opening a command window because you'll need to have one open. The easiest way involves pressing the Windows key and X. You'll see a list of options that include either Command Line and Command Line as Administrator, or Windows PowerShell and Windows PowerShell as Administrator. If you've set Windows to use PowerShell instead of Command, as I have, you'll get the PowerShell option. Otherwise, you'll be offered Command. PowerShell understands many of the old Command Line options and DOS options, and a lot of Linux commands, in addition to its own PowerShell commands. Some of the commands I'll describe here don't work with PowerShell, so maybe it's better to use the option that'll always open the command line. If PowerShell is on the menu that I just described, you can press the Windows key, type CMD, and then click Run as Administrator for the command prompt. Why as Administrator? Well, that's my default choice because some of the commands do require administrator privileges. For example, running the System File Checker or the Deployment Image Servicing and Management module requires heightened permissions. Although many of the commands don't need to be run as administrator, I found it easier to just start as administrator when I pull out the command line or PowerShell. Running either of these as administrator will require that you approve a User Access Control warning. If you use PowerShell, the current version is 7, but the default version that Windows will show you is probably 5. This can be changed by migrating to the latest version, but you can ignore that unless you're a PowerShell developer, in which case you've probably already migrated and you're being bored by all of this blather. So just skip to the next section if you're a PowerShell administrator. Okay, so now that we have a command prompt, or possibly PowerShell 5 or 7 running, you might be wondering what you can do. Well, I mentioned SFC, the System File Checker, and DISM, the Deployment Image Servicing and Management module, previously. I run these commands at least once a month. The Deployment Image Servicing and Management module confirms that any system backup files that are stored on the local recovery set are in good condition. And the System File Checker examines system files and repairs any that it finds with problems. Examining a disk drive's or directory's structure can be helpful. If you want to look at an entire drive, something like tree space D colon will display all of the directories on the D drive. To limit the listing to a single directory, you can add it to the command line. For example, tree space C colon backslash users, that would display all of the directories in the users directory. Or you could use tree space quotation mark c colon backslash program files quotation mark to display all of the directories in the program files directory. When a directory name includes a space, the name needs to be surrounded by quotation marks. The Windows File Explorer can also display the file structure, but some people, including me, prefer the tree command. In File Explorer, navigate to the drive or directory you want to view, Press Control-Alt-Right-Arrow to expand the directories, Control-Alt-Left-Arrow to collapse them. And we all know that computers are quite busy with foreground and background tasks. You can see a list with the Task Manager, but there's an option to view the list with the command line. Task List displays a list of running tasks, the process ID, the session name, session number, and the amount of memory the task consumes. The process ID can be used to kill a task. To see more detailed information, you can use forward slash V for verbose after the command. That adds status information, the name of the user that's running the process, CPU time, and the Windows title. Additionally, there are options for output format and the ability to filter results. If there's a process you want to terminate, you can type task kill, all as one word, followed by forward slash PID, and then the process ID. And it's possible to kill multiple processes simultaneously using the image name and filters. A word of caution might be worthwhile here. Don't kill random processes. And then we can get into the area of general silliness. In the old days, when DOS was all there was, batch files could be used to create menu systems for starting programs. And the prompt could be modified to make the computer more respectful. Now that the command prompt runs in a window, the title can also be modified. If you type title grand wizard, that would change the window's title from administrator command prompt to administrator grand wizard. Or you could type prompt your command, comma, grand wizard, dollar sign G. That changes the prompt from the standard C colon backslash windows backslash system 32 to your command grand wizard. If you do that, you'll notice promptly, sorry, you'll, you'll notice that the prompt no longer indicates the current driver directory. That can be fixed, and you'll see how on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Okay, so those are silly and fun, perhaps, but largely useless. Here's one that's really quite useful. PowerCFG, all one word, forward slash battery report as one word, forward slash output, followed by the name of a file. That creates a file you can view with a browser to reveal a detailed report on the health of your computer's battery. The old style commands can be useful, and sometimes they can be amusing, perhaps even amazing, LifeWire has a couple of useful lists, one that includes a comprehensive list of command line commands, and a second that summarizes dozens of old DOS-style commands, some of which still work. When you have questions about how a command works, or you want more detailed information about what it does, try typing the command and following it with forward slash question mark. DOS is old, dating back to the 1980s. But old doesn't mean useless. Sometimes using the command line produces the results you want faster than Windows would. This segment was recorded on a dark and stormy morning. Waiting for the thunder... It may seem odd that in a program that starts with my reasons for switching from last pass to 1Password, the third article is about getting rid of passwords permanently. Passwords are a mess. It's not stretching the truth much to say passwords are a disaster. We need to get rid of them, and there has been some progress. Pass keys may eventually replace passwords in most cases. If you have a Microsoft account, you can delete your password right now. When you start an application, you'll be told that you need to approve the action using the Microsoft Authenticator on your smartphone. Microsoft's Authenticator runs only on mobile devices, but it does work pretty well. The request is sent to your phone in about one second, and as soon as you type approve, you're in. The obvious problem with this is that you must have your phone to use the Authenticator app. If you don't have it, there are other ways to prove that you are who you claim to be, but they require your password, your PIN, or Windows Hello. I already unlock my Windows computer by showing my face to it, and I unlock my phone with a fingerprint. Some apps on the phone can be set up to use the device's built-in facial recognition or fingerprint reader, so we've definitely started down the road that was first described to me in the mid-1980s. It's been only 38 years or so since then. The creators of password managers must see that the future doesn't include them, but there's not much to fear in the short-term future. Short-term as in maybe another 20 or 30-year. 40 years. Many enterprises have migrated to single sign-on technologies. These allow the user to log in with a single ID to multiple independent software systems or applications. It's a big step forward from the days when an organization had half a dozen or more systems, each with its own password rules. Until we get to a password-less future, and that may not happen for another 40 years, we'll have to cope with systems that continue to use passwords in addition to those that can be accessed without passwords. Best Buy, Microsoft, PayPal, for example. Because that's the case, you're still going to need a password manager for the foreseeable future. So sign up with a password manager, make your passwords impossible to guess, and use two-step authentication whenever it's available. You don't need a password to read 20 years ago on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In 2003, it was common to format the boot drive at least once a year and then reinstall everything. That's one activity I do not miss. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blynn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com. And if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session.